Can I take a picture of you? Me? Yes. I like your face. You have a very feminine face. <laughs> You're right. He has a cute face like a woman. Taking a photo is something very important. Because if I take a photo of you, you are not the same person anymore. When did you take this picture? You know her? Is it okay? I've been watching you for a long time. Really? It made me feel good. <laughs> What's your name, anyway? My name is Claire. Mm -hmm. And what is yours? Manhi. Manhi. Do you know him? Oh, so, yes, I know him. He's a kind of drunkard. C'est un homme très beau qui veut mourir avant d'être repéré par l'amour. Hi Michel, can you read French? It's a very difficult language to learn. Why do you take pictures? Because the only way to change things is to look at everything again very slowly. Yeah, like I like atmosphere, you know, as long as it's just like not overbearing it out. There was a, I guess in the early days of podcasts, there was like these like film critics that recorded. Um, in a bar yeah. Uh, um, but yeah like that was just too loud that's like, rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I could barely make out what they were saying but um, but yeah wow this is like almost frozen <laughs> do you have like a format or anything or um, mm -hmm. you have a format or anything no it's just like having a conversation that's basically it um, but unlike Marcus's show there is a topic <laughs> to discuss <laughs> I'm amazed how they're able to sustain it, you know. I don't I haven't listened to well any of them. <laughs> the recent one was really good where they finally talked about Freddie Got Fingered. Oh. <laughs> and then also they had a guest which is a, an old friend of Marcus's um, and they were a guest on his podcast and I'd never listened to it before. It's called Inside the Phoenix. Yeah. And I like his structure for his podcast. It's what is really, it? Um he kind of like samples audio before the episode starts as a way to like introduce each guest. So like they have like a little sound bite that introduces them. And Marcus's one in, on that episode was just so funny. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So like, uh, but the first thing they talked about was actually um, uh, Black Panther and Ryan Coogler. And then they talk about PTA because he compared uh, this guy Warren compares. Ryan Coogler to BTA. <laughs> okay. Really get into Everyone it. Everyone needs to fucking calm down. <laughs> I was seen it? Nah. And I'm kind of like okay with like To be honest with you, mm. I think it's like a middling Marvel movie. There you go. Everyone wants to be like, but the culture, but the culture. I'm like, yeah, but the movie, but the movie. <laughs> the movie's not very good. But right. Here's what it's like so. Yeah, it's like this idea of like, you know, how oh, if a movie's made with good intentions, then, you know, we should give it, you know, some sort of like... To be honest with you, I think to a certain extent it's pandering. Mm -hmm. 
Because now Ryan Coogler walks away from this movie, and I really mm. like Creed. Mm. I think Fruitvale Station has its moments. Okay. But now he's going to walk away from this movie thinking he's made a legitimately great film. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't. And he's not going to learn anything from it. Right. And, the, you know, the numbers are there because yeah. it made so much money. It's like... I mean, it was built to make money. Yeah. Oh, totally. But, like, even the reviews that I've read of Rainbow in Time for A with Ginger and A's new movie, since there is this tide turning in Hollywood and the industry and everything, everyone's like... No one's willing to just say, hey, I didn't really like this movie. It's kind of bad. They're all really like going out their way to be like, oh, I think there's a lot of special things going on. I really like Ava DuVernay, but I don't like this movie. Like, but just say you don't like this movie. I don't understand why you have to tiptoe around this movie. Right. Yeah, because they don't want to be roasted on social media and all this other yeah. shit. You know, it's like. To be honest with you, I watched Selma. I don't think Selma was very good either. I skipped it. I mean, when I heard that like they couldn't get like the actual Martin Luther King speeches, I was just like. Well, yeah, I mean, what's the point about making a film about him then? I mean, it's crazy that you have to, like, secure the rights for it, like, the way you would for music. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, I, yeah. didn't know I didn't know that that was the case. That's mm-hmm. very insane. It is, yeah. And, like, I think the other thing is that actually Spielberg might actually own, like, the rights to one of the speeches. <laughs> so it's, like, the fact that he didn't, like, do Ava DuVernay solid, but, no. like... Giving her the rights to at least one of them. It's just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> because he's probably still planning his own like MLK movie, you know. Um, but yeah, what was the last movie you saw that in the theater that you actually liked? Phantom <laughs> Thread, I guess. Oh no, Call Me by Your Name. I really like Call Me by Your Name. Oh right. So you saw that this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, was it this? yeah, it was this year. It was in the year. Okay. Yeah, I completely forgot that I'd actually been to the Lincoln Center after. Um, twenty-four. Uh, twenty-four frames. Yeah, I saw two Raul Ruiz movies. Oh yeah. And I fell asleep on both. <laughs> Do you not like them? No, no, no. It's just like actually, it's interesting. Um, uh, I just like kind of a. A little side uh, digression is like I've watched Flying Lotus's like Criterion Closet picks. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he those. yeah he picks um Solaris and then he he talks about like how Tarkovsky puts him to sleep, but in a good way. Uh-huh. It's like because you know the films are like dreams. You know, it's like that's the kind of mindset. And you know you had mentioned earlier about like you know how you would only watch twenty four yeah. frames late at night on the cusp of sleep, like. That's what the Ruiz films are too, you know? Um, so, oh shit. And yeah, the title of the first one I saw was like The Insomniac on the Bridge too. So it relates to like yeah, that idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I fell asleep on both of them. And I mean, The Insomniac on the Bridge had a short film that played before it, which was really great. That was actually like really rare. And I read an interview that Marcus had with Lodge Kerrigan where he was asking Lodge Kerrigan about like his favorite films and stuff and Lodge Kerrigan said, yeah, this film, um, it's dog something, I can't remember the complete title, but like he said like this one should, they should distribute this film and then it played with that um, Ruiz, because it's a short film by Ruiz. So They had, uh, because they had a... Uh like the first half of his career they showed like last year or a year and a half ago or something and then this it's year not, it's not even the first half it's just like a sampling they can't do all the films it's, they, made, no, it's made over 150 yeah 
He was the type of filmmaker like Fassbender where he would be on a shoot of a film and then be shooting something else like if there was like a lull in the shoot. I had no I had no clue either of them did that. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean I mean Hong Sang Su also made this film that we saw like in between yeah. movies, so you know, during the time that basically yourself and yours was having its run at at the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> no, but I I've never heard of a filmmaker who was in production on something, was bored, went and did something else, and then came back to production oh, yeah. and so on. I mean, the Fassbender thing was even crazier because he was making period pieces in between, like, films that were set in modern day. It's just like actors had to get in costume. And <laughs> the worst thing is, at least, like, Louise would use different actors. Like, with, with Fassbender, he would use the same actors. The same, like, like, ten people, yeah. Yeah, which film am I in right now? <laughs> it's like, that kind of infinite productivity is just like it amazes me and like to kind of be locked in that you can just like pick up and go and I don't know how I mean I, I want to read Ruiz's like two books on cinema like you know I, a lot of people who have read them consider that to be like essential texts it's uh, called Poetics of Cinema I think I read like the first like chapter of it of the first book and yeah I responded to it like he was already like just comparing the difference between like you know narrative in cinema outside of Hollywood but he was still like about narrative like so much of his films are about even characters just making up stories and you know like building their own narratives within the overall narrative so yeah but I was also like very tired with both screenings and it was my second time seeing On Top of the Whale uh, and I fell asleep the first time too (laughs) so it just it just has that effect on me. And uh, it's also one of Jim Jarmusch's like, top 10 movies of all time. Is yeah, yeah, that's uh, how my co-worker sold me on um, Ruiz. Was that. He was like, yeah, Jarmusch loves him. You should check him out. I'm like, all right, fine, fair enough. Yeah, and on, on top of The Whale, like, it was only available like on a crappy VHS. Yeah. So now it has a DCP, so... I'm very happy that I don't have to deal with the shit that your generation has to deal with, of, like, hunting things down with physical <laughs> copies or anything like that. I mean, you know, it was there for, like, 15, 16 years, maybe, mm-hmm. that I still have to go to a video rental store and, like, find random yeah. shit. Well, I think, yeah, because the worst is, like, when you kind of come of age, and then you realize, like, how much isn't available, and now, yeah, you're kind of spoiled with that, but... Like, yeah, during my time, yeah, when I was telling you about, like, discovering Time Out Film Guide, a lot of these films I wanted to see, I couldn't find them. Like, and so many, like, videos would just go out of print, and it was just, like... I mean, I still remember as a kid going to Kim's and, like, seeing, like, these out-of-print VHSs, like, Down by Law was out of print. Yeah, yeah. And, like, they were selling it for, like, a hundred bucks. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I couldn't afford that. Like I was like 15 when I yeah. saw the the VHS, but I wanted to see it so badly. And then I remember actually, it was even before the Criterion release. Like uh, a UK distributor op- uh, released it on VHS, and then my mom's friend who still lives in England, like I actually got her to send me <laughs> the VHS copy of it because I just wanted to see it so badly. Yeah. You know, it was like that kind of roundabout thing. I mean, to be honest with you, for me now, it's like, it's so easy to find. So, for instance, before, if you had to hunt down a movie, you spend a couple of weeks going from video store to video store, right? Right. Or asking your friends if for some reason they have a copy of it. Mm-hmm. 
and you were so fervently attached to this movie that you wanted to see so badly from a filmmaker that you felt no one knew except you. Right. And by the time you got it, you watched it instantly. Mm-hmm. Now, someone tells me to watch a movie I've never heard of, and it sounds very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I download it, and it sits on my hard drive, you know, for like a couple of months before I finally know right. to watch it. Yeah. I mean, one significant change for me now is that, yeah, I have to like... Now, it, my viewing is all dependent on my mood which wasn't a, a luxury I had before it was like oh this is the only time I can watch it or like if it was on TV oh shit I gotta sit down and watch this I can't like <laughs> leave the house like yeah but now it's like oh yeah well, I'll work my way towards this oh, yeah. like that's that's the thing when it's on the hard drive but then you know when you time it right though like you know like when I saw all these sleepless nights and it was like late in the evening it was just perfect like when it aligns it's just like yeah yeah great I mean yeah the chances of that happening are a lot higher than they used to be of course (laughs) right but like I do miss that attitude of when I was a kid when I was just happy to be watching a movie right good or bad I didn't give a shit there was a movie in front of me it was yeah of course yeah yeah I mean that's why yeah I just like indiscriminately would watch HBO and like every time somebody mentions like you know some crappy comedy to me I'm like I always say like oh yeah that was an HBO classic like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I would watch that all the time or whatever was on Comedy Central <laughs> mm-hmm. all day long every fucking night like Best in Show I hate Best in Show oh, yeah. because Comedy Central would show it 200 fucking times <laughs> yeah well, I do I, I definitely certainly miss that because I used to even watch like stuff that was straight to DVD but the fact that I was mm-hmm. too young to know that straight to DVD was kind of mm-hmm. you know but, you gotta sort of like act as if it's a pile of garbage that you're supposed to step aside from mm-hmm. I mean because otherwise I was like discovering these movies I would have never have otherwise watched because mm-hmm. my tastes were just like still developing and so that's the right. thing I think I yes it's good to have taste and it's good to know what kind of person you are and everything mm-hmm. but at the same time it's terrible that now I'm like really focused into what kind of movie I want to make mm-hmm. so I'm only gonna watch certain kinds of movies but the funny thing is, like, for instance, now I'm doing, like, a bunch of homework for this feature-length movie I want to shoot, right? That yeah. pseudo-documentary, kind right. of, like, Sleepless Nights. Mm-hmm. All these Sleepless Nights. I have a bunch of movies I have to watch. I don't want to watch them, because now it feels like fucking homework. <laughs> you know? I put on... I got drunk, and I just put on Justice League instead and fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> well, that's funny you mentioned it, because I have more for you, for you. So, this is actually, like, my most valuable DVD. Oh, like, be very careful with me. It's a book, but the DVD's on the back. I mean, yeah. that's the actual package. Um, yeah, be careful with the disc. Okay. Um, so, yeah, like, just monetarily, like, on, like, face value, that's the most expensive DVD that I have. I mean, I bought it, like, used. Yeah. But, like, I think the... I bought it for 30 bucks. Oh, God. But um, the, the retail price is 75 and so that the people who are listening now, it's William, uh, how do you spell it? Uh, Eggleston, yeah. Stranded in Canton. Yeah. It's the first ever video documentary awesome. <laughs> that isn't a home movie. Uh, so he basically got like a Sony Portapack camera, which was super expensive. And um, yeah, have, have you seen Computer Chess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the same camera. So basically... You couldn't even record onto tape directly. You had to have like a separate unit that you slung over no your shit. shoulder, yeah. and you plugged it in with a wire. And you know, like they show in computer chess, you couldn't point it directly at the sun because it would burn out the tube. Uh-huh. But it was just like this really haunting, like black and white, you know. Um, 
and yeah he was saying that people were interacting with the camera the way they do in his film because like it was the first time that they were actually just being filmed with a video camera it was all like new to them yeah you know a lot of it is like shot in new orleans so it's like it's kind of like nightlife it has that aspect of it and just yeah there's a freedom to it and the beauty of that dvd is that you can watch it like in three different ways mm-hmm. so there's um the version where because um, it basically was like called from like hours and hours of stuff he filmed so they kind of in 2005 they finally put together into like cohesive documentary and um so the first version that most people have seen is the one with his commentary like his narration uh-huh. and then there's another one with his separate like director commentary and it's just interesting to contrast those two and then you can just watch it without narration and just yeah enjoy the beauty of like the vignettes and how you suggest I watch it my first time? Uh, I'd say watch it without the commentary. Yeah, just like watch the vignettes. But yeah, some of the scenes may like try your patience without his commentaries. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. My patience is tried very often nowadays. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's also more and more difficult for me to just like actually like a movie. Yeah. For instance, Black Panther, I thought it was okay. Right. But the fact that it's just okay, mm-hmm. I'm like utterly pissed off with it, and now it's just a bad Right, movie because everybody's hyping it that way. So I got two more docs yeah. for you. Uh, Sophia's Last Ambulance. I love that title. Right? Yeah. And um, yeah, that filmmaker, Ilan Metev, he has a new film in New York. Uh, new oh, film so directors. Yeah. yeah. So really incredible documentary. I mean, just, you'll see, like, from the get-go like what he chooses to show like already kind of sets that documentary apart from many other right? oh yeah design. I mean that the distributor from the UK uh, second run they do great covers what region is this? Uh, it's uh, region free okay. all their DVDs are region free but um, uh, yeah they've released a lot of Polish and Romanian films mm-hmm. you know um, and then yeah this one top five all time movies for oh, me those top five movies for you yeah f- facts for fiction it has a, a second short on it but facts for fiction is just amazing like it's one of those films like documentaries where it's just like right place right time yeah like he could never do it again if he wanted to like that was it and thank god the camera was rolling the whole hey, time hey man 70 minutes 69 minutes yes yeah. I'm, I'm already a fan <laughs> just like Claire's camera yeah. 69 minutes <laughs> Uh, that's how it goes for me. Yeah, yeah. Michael Pills is just like this filmmaker that I, I think doesn't really get that much attention, but every film is made is unique. Yeah. Um, so this one, he happened to be in New York. He's an Austrian filmmaker. Um, it's interesting you mentioned how, like, uh, so for uh, the Australian Canton, how they react to the camera and everything. It's funny, so I was watching... Um, Monchek, the director of uh, All These Sleepless Nights, his other mm-hmm. movie, Fuck for Forest and everything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how people don't really react to cameras anymore. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they'll glance at it for a second and then just go with the scene. Right. Like, they're okay with, like, turning themselves into performers mm-hmm. on the turn of a fucking dime. Right. Which I find incredibly fascinating, and hopefully I could, like, get that out of my family. Yeah, because, I mean, I, you know, as much as I film people, like, I'm still, like, very conscious when I'm when somebody's filming me, you know? Or when you're filming yourself. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that's awful. Yeah, I try not to do that. <laughs> it was fine, though. Mm-hmm. I was watching the cut that you put together so far. Well, my actress was filming me, so that was, you know... But So she is an actress. She's not just a person you um, 
are friends with who decided, to, yeah, let's go walk around for ourselves and shoot. I mean, but she's always kind of just played like small roles and like she's she's not really like she's not trying to be an actress like she doesn't really want to do it for her career but I think it's also partly like she's kind of scared to really go full force with it so like you know um, you know she works for a publishing company that's her day job but yeah she's like acted in a couple of films but yeah that first film that she and I made um, or yeah that was the first one we made together that was her first ever IMDB credit (laughs) so yeah do uh, you so, have an IMDb profile? I do. <laughs> Your short films are listed on there? Uh, just, just my feature in this short. Okay. Yeah, it's weird because it's like certain film festivals you submit to, like that's what gives you that credit. Yeah. So my first film, like none of the people in it are actors, but they all now have IMDb credits yeah. because like, you know, they were the ones credited in the film. So it's funny. Um, but yeah, I also have these books for you. <laughs> Well, I was going to say real quickly, though, yeah. it's better that, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at my IMDb, I think mm-hmm. it's, like, full of just reality TV credits at the moment, so. <laughs> I do have, like, this fantasy, though, down the line that I will keep those credits and I'll never, like, take them away. And so people go on my IMDb, see all my movies, and be like, oh, shit, he was an AE on some fucking reality show. Well, my first credit is actually a PA on a, a B-movie that I never worked on. Like, my friend just put me on as a credit, <laughs> you know, just as a joke. <laughs> So yeah, that was the main book that I was going to give you, The Woman Chaser, yeah, Yeah. Um, because of how it relates to movies, and it's Charles Williford. What's that movie uh, starring Patrick Warburton? It came out in 99, (laughs) but didn't really get like a a proper release until like, I want to say 2012? The uh, movie or the book? The movie. And the book has been out of print for a long time, too. Like, that's why most of the editions now are just, like, the movie tie-in version. Where'd you find this? Strand. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. Um, But, yeah, they they couldn't release the movie on, like, uh, home video because uh, they didn't have the rights to most of the music for video release. So, like, they had to rescore everything. Do you have that? No, or no. I, I mean, I, I just know that this is like the book about editing and yes. how Birch wrote it and whatnot. Yeah, it's so incredible. And it like it doesn't even just apply to editing. Like, it just applies to art. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the amazing thing about Walter Murch. Um, yeah, we're talking about In the Blink of an Eye. It's like, um, he's like a renaissance man. Like, you know, he's a beekeeper. He grows yeah. mushrooms. Like, you know? I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, he appreciates classical music. Like, you know, he... Uh, another book that he has which is also incredible is his conversations with um, Michael Ondaatje uh-huh. the writer of, he's most well known for writing The English Patient but yeah, he's yeah, written yeah. better books like, but didn't he also write The House of Santa Fog is that the same no. guy? No? that's uh, Isabella Allende okay. yeah. <laughs> but no he wrote this incredible book which is one of my favorites called uh, Coming Through Slaughter uh-huh. which is like an imagined like biography of Buddy Bolden this jazz musician who like was in New Orleans he's like known as a legend but there's no recordings of his music uh-huh. like nothing exists like they, I, they said they recorded one album and then like it melted like because it was wax so uh, so there's no recordings of him so his reputation really rests on people's word of mouth yeah. so he writes this like book that basically is like emulating like the style of jazz you know in word form it's just incredible like it's stream of consciousness like um yeah it shifts from different points of view but uh i'm digressing the 
the discussion well, that's that stream of consciousness, yeah. man. That's what happens. <laughs> the discussion that Ondachi and um, Walter Merch have, like Walter Merch credits three people responsible for modern day cinema, and I'm gonna forget one of them. I just remember two right now. Oh, Not shit. one is Beethoven. Beethoven. Okay. And then the second guy is Flaubert. Okay. <laughs> Who the fuck was is the, the third, third one? An actual filmmaker. No, I think he's like a scientist or something. <laughs> but no, like that's the way Walter Merch thinks, you know? Because like he was saying with Beethoven, like nobody had thought of music the same that the way that Beethoven did, uh-huh. you know, in terms of like following more emotion than structure, and like that's kind of how cinema went, you know? And there's this like basic theory of like you know you follow emotion when you edit, like it's the blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, that's how you pace it. And then with Flaubert, it was really like, ah, shit. Well, it was, it was really his focus on little details. Like, yeah. just being able to, like, give you impressions of things through little details, you know. So, yeah, I never I never purchased the book because I assumed it was just kind of like, well, is Sid Fields the big screenwriter oh, or something? So no, awful. but Yeah, I yeah. know it's awful, but I thought, like, the way I was reading it, I was like, mm. oh, Okay, it's like the big editor is writing about editing in a very general way so anyone could read it. Yeah. And so that's why I was just like always hesitant to like look at the book, but no, this is It's far from technical. The only The only thing about it, like kind of dates it is towards the end he does kind of talk about, oh man, it's so nice to edit on a computer now. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only part. But other than that, like the majority of the book is just like what he's interested in, you know, yes. what inspires him. Like, just watching him, like, at talks as well is incredible. And the fact that he never edited a documentary until, like, 2005 or something. What did he do? Was Particle Fever? Uh-huh. Yeah, so... Huh. Nothing but fiction and, like, you know, really kind of breaking through with... I mean, editing the apocalypse now. Yeah, like, man. hundreds of hours of footage. Like, holy shit. Man. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I do miss. Mm. I don't know. I think there's something to be said about. It just reminds me of this thing that I like to tell people, especially when I'm talking about like modern movies that are mm. three hours long, and you feel right. the three hours mm. always. Mm-hmm. It's like back in the day, you know, everything was on film. Everything was so like sensitive and everything. There are only mm. so many cuts you can make before the film just starts kind of like right. losing its quality and everything. Mm. Especially with dissolves, like mm-hmm. dissolves, your film would just like mm-hmm. be taken through the shredders. Right. The idea that you would have to map out, also since you're shooting with film and it's like 12, 13 minutes of reel or whatever, mm-hmm. you would have to map it out as precisely as you can beforehand. So if something was three hours, it's because there's no other choice. It mm-hmm. had to be three hours, so it wasn't going to feel that way. Right. Nowadays, though, like every studio movie is at least two and a half hours, and every studio movie feels like two and a half hours, <laughs> right. if not three or four. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and very much in a different way than, like, that Chantel Ackerman movie that mm-hmm. we uh, saw in Momo. What was it oh, called again? Uh, Meeting Zavanna. Yeah. Like, to be honest with you, and this isn't a criticism of the movie, mm-hmm. because overall I did enjoy it. It's one of those things mm-hmm. I needed distance from. I know we came out of it and I told you I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't have been more bored by the end of it. <laughs> right. But, uh... Um, but it was like, but, that, but that, that's like fucking with time on purpose. You're not, you oh, know, yeah. I don't think Hunger Games is fucking with time on purpose no. to make us feel like we're there that long. Right. But, you know, the idea that she's in a lonely state of mind, that she's just kind of floating around, I feel like that kind of existence would feel elongated to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Yeah, just that sense of, yeah, like, because there's nothing there to distract you, then, yeah, time definitely feels longer, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I've, I've always been fascinated by that idea of just, like, 
you know, time doesn't really change objectively. Like, a minute is a minute. Yeah. But how, like, one minute can feel longer than the other. Yeah, it's that emotional You ever uh, read Catch-22? No. There's uh, one character mm. who's terrified of dying. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty sure that the end is nigh. Mm -hmm. So what he decides to do to uh, really capitalize on his time on this planet mm. is that he decides to live the most tedious, boring life of all time because then time will actually feel like, like it's been stretched right. out. Like he has more time before that inevitable mm. bullet hits his head. Yeah, there's a, a Rick and Morty bit about that too where they play a video game that like lasts an entire lifetime uh -huh. and it's like the most mundane like life. But it only lasts a few minutes but like in the, in the video game you really felt like you've lived an entire life. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> That's a, is that from a newer season? Um, I'm not familiar with that joke. Um, I've seen only the first two. Yeah, it might have been. It's the the episode where they um, he sells like that um, that weapon to the like hitman, like this kind of insect hitman. Oh, then I might have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a subplot to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely from the second season where they have like the like the kindergarten for Jerry's. Yeah, yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was like one of the, the subplots. See, this is where we're getting that good ambiance. Yeah, totally. People passing through. But yeah, so Hong Song Soo. Right, okay. So yeah, tell me about now, your... this is podcast time. <laughs> now it's less of a conversation. <laughs> yeah, tell me about your, like, your yeah, experience. It's my job to point out that we're breaking form now. Um, right. Tell me what. Uh, what am I telling you? Yeah, like, what was your experience with his work previous to seeing this one? Well, thank you for the gifts first. Oh, yeah. The, the, totally. the, the loans. Um, well, the books are yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. You can keep the books. No, no. I mean, I have copies of those. Okay. So, like, those are yours to keep. All right, thank you. But if you don't like them, you can give them back. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do. Because um, then I could always give it to somebody else. Actually, remind me, remind me why this specifically, Woman Chaser, I remember you were like, yeah. you have to read this. Then. I don't remember what we were talking about. It was when we met at Budin. Oh, shit. We were talking about your film and what we were going to do. Maybe fiction? Something to do with, like, writing a screenplay? Um, I can't remember. Yeah. It's just interesting because I don't think, like, you and I have never even discussed pulp or anything like that either. So right. It's just interesting that you're... Maybe I'll remember while I'm reading it. But yeah, it's so different from anything Charles Willifer has written. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Hong Sung Soo, how did I get into him? Yeah. Well, well to say that I'm into him would be false. I've only seen three movies, even though he's well, how like, did you get 50. started with this work? Um... I watched In Another Country. Okay. And I was browsing through Netflix, as people do. And I just remember I really liked the image that they had. Mm -hmm. I was questioning why Isabel Huppert was on the beach with a lifeguard-looking Korean fella. <laughs> and I really loved the typograph that they oh, used yeah. for the title. It's like kind of cursive and yellow, I think, or something. Yeah. I don't know. There was something like old-school vintage about it. I like Isabel Huppert. Mm -hmm. I was like, why the fuck not? I'll, I'll watch it. This is when I was still in that phase of my life where I was like, yeah, I'll watch anything at this point. Right. Which was, mind you, unfortunately only three years ago or something. <laughs> so it's terrible that I've already become a much in that, in that regard. I watched yeah. it and I, you know, it's just I've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it's kind of the same story three times mm -hmm. uh, in repeat, but not yeah. really. There's always a sort of X variable that decides to right. fuck with the entire solution. And I was just sitting there, and it was one of those things that, you know, I mean, every so often you'll watch a movie that is so fucking well made that you somehow don't think mm -hmm. while watching, you don't think to yourself. Right. And this is one of those. I mean, there are little slight battles of like, especially when the second narrative comes in, I'm right. like, oh, this, so I'm watching this thing again. Mm -hmm. 
How did you feel about the zooms? Like, I was like, Jesus, that's fucking hokey as shit, man. <laughs> I'm like, that is so hokey. Why do I like this lo-fi? And the, the entire movie's lo-fi. It's not the mm-hmm. zooms that gave it away, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, it, it looked like something I used to shoot on my digital camera, my mm-hmm. TV camera. Right. With the little cassettes when I was a little kid, and I was just trying to make my own movies. Right. And it just made me, like... I know I was in good hands that right afterwards I'm like, can I make a movie like that? Mm-hmm. You know, can I make a movie? That's how I know I love a film. Like, can I make a movie like that? That's so mm-hmm. fascinating. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, it's funny because other people, that's like a backhanded compliment. What? <laughs> like to say that, oh, if I can... Oh, I mean, no. You could say it like, oh, I didn't know you could do it like that. Or you could say, oh, yeah. I didn't know you could do it like that. <laughs> there are two right. ways that you could... Right. You know, like it's a Hong Kong Sioux, there are two ways that you could look at it, right? Mm-hmm two perspectives and totally. uh, that's his thing you know now that I've watched three movies which is not a lot for him right I see that that's his game of like he likes to play with alternate universes to a certain extent like right what if she said this one different thing early on where would that set us off into mm-hmm. what direction you know the idea in this movie that this camera as soon as you take a picture with it it changes that person's life they're not oh, the same person I fucking love that idea and the movie does do that they're mm-hmm. not the same the next time we see the director he's he's completely drunk Right. The next time we see the director again, he's in a tuxedo yelling at her like he's her father. Right. And like, what what timeline is it on? Also, like that there was... is no actual timeline mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. Yeah, that you try to find consistency through the clothes, and you can't. Like it's tough. I mean, like Isabel Huppert wears the same thing through the the whole thing, right? Yeah, she's like she does. Yes. Yeah. And then Mani, uh, uh, played by I, I don't know the actress. Minnie. Minnie. Okay. <laughs> it's just like uh, their names are like yeah, a slight shockingly variant. different. <laughs> But like Mani, she uh, she has like three or four outfits maybe, and I can't. I'm, so I know that she's wearing that beige jacket and the red shoes mm-hmm. when she spends the bulk of a day with Isabella Huppert's mm-hmm. character Claire, the titular yeah. Claire. Right. But then I'm not quite sure. If, the only thing I could say to myself is that when she met her at the party, mm-hmm. Mani didn't realize she was having a picture taken of her, and that's right. why she doesn't really recognize her on the beach the next day right. or something. Yeah, that is possible, but it's like, why? The the thing is, again, this well, is. Like, I tell it disjointed. Right. Yeah. Well, no, no, not not that. It's just like, uh, why doesn't Claire have memory? <laughs> like in, in that idea that you know photographs are memory, but she apparently doesn't remember seeing these people. Or then I don't. That's not how I read it. Really? Okay. I read it differently because mm-hmm. I think Isabella Huppert likes playing intrusive characters mm-hmm. who likes to orchestrate situations. That seems to be what she like. For instance, like L. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen L, the Verhoeven film? The Ver- L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That whole movie is her orchestrating basically how she's gonna get back at this guy in the most fucking. Anyway, yeah. Great boy. <laughs> Love that film. But uh, Tip Top. Did you see Tip Top? That no. uh, that okay. Ser- Serge Brozon or something is a filmmaker's name, French. Mm-hmm. Also, she plays a character that likes to orchestrate situations. Okay. Um, so I think to a certain extent it was very much that she's not she's not doesn't have a memory she doesn't want to tell them that she knows mm, them. like she gotcha. wants to see what their reactions will be when they see that picture mm-hmm. because again they see that picture now they've changed as a person again right you know I think she just enjoys putting frames around people like any photographer and the, the photos that they show in the film are really pretty yeah like, they're, really they're nice yeah like I love the portraits like the one where they recognize uh, Manhe in in the restaurant and yeah. then it's like the this... party picture where she has too much makeup or something yeah, or she's never then, worn that much yeah but she's wearing a coat and then like this is a coat. 
like a beautiful like split like where she's standing like there's this white wall and then there's like these buildings on the other side and I was yeah. like wow that's really like because I mean when I had like a, a Polaroid camera like that was always my problem like I kind of wanted to make take landscape shots with it but it that's really is, yeah it lends itself more to taking portraits like yeah. that's really what that format is and just on a side note too another thing that I just thought of because I mentioned to you that I got the contact info of the box office girl yeah, yeah. at the beginning. I just thought of this idea of like, you know, because how the box office frame is kind of like a, a portrait oh, yeah. of like taking photos of people like that, but yeah. also from her side, like customers, like what do they look like? Like I was wondering how I look to her when I, I would be framed by the box office That's window. a Hong Sung Soo short film right there though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to yeah. make it now. Yeah. I might steal it from you. No, go ahead. Yeah, be my guest. Like, yeah. But I mean, that's really it. Like, there's always this awareness too of like the image and then how it changes us. Like, even with his previous films, you know, it's just this one, I think, deals with it the most directly. Like, because, yeah, there's a person with a camera. Yeah. Um, another thing that I like... Was, that was in the back of my mind while watching it too is that it's actually a common like kind of folk belief in Korea that you know they, they're very particular about their photos being taken yeah, like because yeah, yeah. yeah they, they do believe in that it snatches your soul yeah they believe in that general folk belief too so yeah, yeah. and they're just like very private about that but the person who told me that actually this was before like this boom of like selfies and mm-hmm. social media so maybe that's also kind of starting to change you know? I imagine I mean I feel like you know I see everyone of every age mm-hmm. on their phone right you know looking through I, I saw this old book you know I was on the train and I was reading obviously I'm reading White Album by Joan Didion okay and I'm really digging it and I, I, I unfortunately have a dog's attention sometimes of like if there's music playing around me or someone starts having a loud conversation I will train car- change cars oh wow okay. yeah I hate it um, because wow. then I'll start paying attention to that thing right. because I can't I'm inherently voyeuristic so I will it's not because yeah. I'm annoyed with them I am right. just now too curious as to what they're talking mm-hmm. about gotcha and so this old woman all of a sudden like, or I'm reading and all of a sudden you know someone's like music's coming out of their phone I'm like fuck uh-huh. that person who's that fucking person Who, who's gonna tell me that they can afford a smartphone but not right. a pair of fucking headphones I'm gonna take your photo right <laughs> gonna do Claire's um, camera but uh so that's what I was doing and I, I look over to my left now I'm about to yell at this person because I usually do tell people like do you not have headphones do you right. not like there are other people in the fucking train it's a public spot yeah and um, and you're a big guy <laughs> so I can get away with it. Yeah, people would be intimidated by you <laughs> uh, I also get very loud on a side note I actually I yelled at, I went to a live show last week okay. of a podcast done live at a theater okay. and people these two girls were talking the entire time oh, so shit. just as intermission was coming I yelled at both of them to shut the fuck up how can you possibly talk this much? Right. And uh, we got into an argument, and they left at intermission. Oh, I bullied God. people out of the theater. <laughs> anyway, so I look over, and it's, it's an old lady. I'm not going to yell at an old lady because she doesn't understand how phones work. And right. It's, you know, yeah. a faux pas to be doing mm-hmm. that. But even she's on her phone, mm-hmm. going through these things, and yeah. I'm sure she also probably had issues at some point about taking a picture, mm-hmm. everyone stand together. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't think that... I think it doesn't take your soul anymore mm-hmm. because I think the phones become a physical manifestation of our soul. So mm-hmm. you forget your phone at home, yeah. people will tell you how they feel phantom limb and they'll start like patting themselves down or they'll feel a vibration in their wow. pocket. Okay, yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. know about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the phone will be nowhere near them. They'll feel a vibration in their pocket. Really? It's a real phenomenon. 
Well, my phone, I haven't even turned it on since I turned it off before the screening, and yeah. I'm fine with it being off for now. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think addiction is a real thing. My girlfriend's <laughs> properly addicted to her phone. Instagram, Facebook, all that. Right. And quite frankly, it's one of those things of like, you know, you hear someone's an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Not me, because I was an alcoholic. Okay. But I've heard people say like, well, why don't you just stop? Mm -hmm. Or smoking cigarettes, why don't you just, you know, for right. other people like, oh, I don't get it. I don't like drinking that much. Right. It's like, oh, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. I wish I had the same thing. Mm -hmm. But it's a, uh, it is an addiction and thankfully we just aren't right. tied to it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like most people are addicted to their phones mm -hmm. and I don't blame them. Right. It's like any other, I'm addicted to far many, far many more things than just my phone. So it's Oh okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, we all have like our own kind of personal addictions. Well, I like mean, Hansung too. I yeah. probably drink too much from time to time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess we can get into that too. Um, just the idea of like the personal bleeding into his films, you know, because... Um, yeah, I guess where I'm coming from, I like yeah, basically started from the beginning. Like I saw his first film first, and then watched the films chronologically. Like I think by the time like I caught up to all the films he had made, because he kind of had a weird gap between um, uh, I want to say like Woman on the Beach. That was like his biggest gap. Like he made Woman on the Beach in 2006, yeah. and then he didn't make another film till like 2008. Uh, so 2007 was like a year he missed. Do you but, know what happened? Um, I think it was mainly just him kind of transitioning to digital. Like, yeah. Woman on the Beach was his last film film. Uh, so I guess he was like trying out what he could do. And like his first um, digital film is Night, Night and Day, which yeah. he actually shot in Paris. So that was his first film in France. Uh -huh. It's uh, <laughs> And um, yeah, I remember I saw Night and Day. Uh, like it was kind of like it's US premiere I guess at um, oh, Los Angeles County Museum um, and he was there because he was actually editing his next film uh, <laughs> I think it was supposed to be they said it was set in Canada and then you see the film and it's like they only mention Canada you don't even see it in okay. the movie so he was like oh that was just an excuse for him to go there and edit the movie but um, yeah I had asked him about the zooms because the zooms were like a later development like he basically started it with um, Tale of Cinema yeah. which I think came out in 2004 2005 and I asked him about it and he said you know he's like this kind of very sleepy guy <laughs> he basically said that um, yeah it's like uh, it's just faster than cutting <laughs> but it is because he's going from a wide to a two shot he's never like random you can see especially with this movie I was watching I'm like mm -hmm. Oh, he's cutting. He's doing what any other filmmaker. Will. Well, Spielberg does the same thing, but he does it slowly, slowly. Right. So you never more. actually get that he's doing that mm -hmm. thing. You know, like you right. ever, uh, did you ever listen to those um, videos by Tony Jung or something? Uh, name, Tony? Uh, every picture, every uh, every frame, frame painting. painting. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen the Spielberg. Well, he has a Spielberg one. Like mm -hmm. he's not doing anything fancy. Mm -hmm. He's just connecting a two shot to a single to a wide shot, and he's yeah. moving it around. Gotcha. You don't know he's moving it around because he's just doing it so slowly. Right. You know. Yeah. And I think they're 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 trying to achieve a very similar thing mm -hmm. with very different executions, <laughs> obviously, because his is just like right. his might as well be a cut. He's doing mm. so fucking fast, right. you know. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I think the introduction of like humor into his work, like, it just felt organic to have like a zoom that also. It's such a silly. It's such <laughs> a silly move. You yeah, know? yeah. But yeah, just um, 
it's interesting to watch his career and like the phases now and now we're in a third phase of his career because um or maybe even fourth because the first phase is probably his first three films where he basically something that's never changed with him is he's always been fascinated by structure even if it's a film that's just like people talking like there's always some gamesmanship with the structure so like his first film was actually like five different stories that somehow converge together um uh the second film which is it a more traditionally told film though as in like um, filming technique and oh yeah 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 for sure i mean no, actually the, the camera i think is fairly static yeah. like it barely moves in his first three films like they barely move and then um uh the the second film, which is probably my favorite of his early films, uh, The Power of Kangwon Province, is even simpler. It's just two stories. But the thing about the two stories is it's like, uh, let's just yeah. wait for them to, <laughs> to get out. Um, oh, you guys are closing? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you guys are closing. Okay. All right. It seems quieter over here. It is here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think we just sure. have rambunctious. All uh, right. <laughs> But yeah, we're closer to the turnstiles, so hopefully that gets picked up. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the second film, Power of Kangwon Province, is just incredible because it's just two stories, and it basically it totally took me by surprise because I really thought, oh, the second story has nothing to do with the first, like, and the way that they connect is just incredible. Like, it's such like I just knew this guy is like really promising yeah and then yeah his third film was uh, Virgin Ship Bear by her bachelors which was <laughs> his titles in yeah. the beginning of his career are fantastic <laughs> yeah but, um well he's actually taking the title from the the Champ painting uh-huh. like I think it's um yeah I think that's the title of it so he took it from that but they always have different titles in Korean like the, the Korean title of that is just Oh Sojun which is the name of the the main character yeah but yeah, this one is like a black and white film that kind of is a play on like last year at Marienbad, mm-hmm. where like certain things repeat and then you're like, you're not quite sure which perspective to like rely on. And that was basically his last film that had a, a full script, like that he went into the shoot and he had like structured everything. What and is he, it now? Well, the style that he now approaches it is like he just basically has a premise uh-huh. that he goes on and a lot of it is improvised. But like, yeah, he will like, I mean, because of digital now, he has the luxury to, like, shoot and refine it on the spot. But, like, to be able to be this kind of, like, adept at that and, like, you know, shoot, like, a film like this in a week is just insane. crazy. It is crazy. (laughs) I mean, because I I, 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 I see the merit of shooting something like that. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a beginner. Yeah. It was for my first time when I was shooting the short film that Mm. you've seen now, which I am just going with the title Cat People. I don't give a fuck that there's a cat person. No. No, no, go for it. Actually, that's a good title. I, I just like I don't have the time to like I don't want to say. So the movie's done. The only reason I'm not like sending it to festivals is because I don't have a fucking title, and that's a bullshit reason not to like send something exactly. out. You're making excuses. Yeah, no, I no, I didn't want to make excuses. Because everyone's yeah. like, "Are you sure you want to do cat people?" Cat person came out about a couple months ago. No one's gonna see you on Google. I'm like, no one's gonna see this movie on Google. Period. What the fuck are you on about? But also, who the fuck is randomly googling me? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, stick with that. Yeah, that's so fine. So I'm, I'm just gonna yeah. do that. But like the first time, I don't know. Maybe it's because I had to like hold the boom or I had to operate the camera. And sometimes it's very mm-hmm. difficult to watch a scene mm-hmm. and like remember the things that I found wrong with it while mm-hmm. watching it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like for the second take of like, mm-hmm. well, Mikhail, what, what do you want us doing differently this time? Like, you know, quite frankly, I don't remember. Let's just do yeah. it again. Because yeah, you're you're in the moment. You yeah. Know? But I think yeah, if you just, I think also because 
he benefits from just doing it the same way over and over again. Yeah. And yeah, he's been able to refine it. If you're like still like kind of figuring yourself out as a filmmaker, like I was as well for a time, like yeah, I wouldn't remember those kind of things. You know, it's like yeah, a lot of things I would only spot in the edit. I was like, oh shit, if I only had like that opportunity to like yeah. go back and, yeah. and shoot it again that way, like you come up with the solution like later on. But I think also that method of like having that openness to kind of like move beyond like what was written I, that allows the film to become what it is like yeah it takes in some shape and yeah like the the third phase i guess of his career was the when he started doing like comedies like just out now comedies because his films were really the first films were not that funny like they were like humorous moments but a lot of them were dark yeah like especially the ending so uh, well, yeah, the first three films are super dark. And then, um, uh, but yeah, when he started doing like more humorous films, and this, the films got consequently this lighter, and people didn't really take him seriously. And like, yeah, he kind of got this, this kind of stereotype that he's just making the same film over and over again. And, you know, content-wise, the, the thing that was consistent that it was always like an insecure, like, Korean man, usually a filmmaker, and usually a drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from what I've seen so yeah, far. Yeah, usually a drunk, and yeah, he's trying to impress a girl or he's trying to get laid. Yeah, and then he embarrasses himself in the process, you know. And oh yeah, the other thing that changed too is first like four films had very explicit sex in them, mm-hmm. like, and then he just like moved away from that. Well, I mean, yeah. the only nudity I've seen in this movie so far was right now, wrong then, when that guy decides to strip naked in the middle of a dinner oh, party where everyone's shit. super yeah. fucking drunk. Doesn't yeah. he like actually feed them alcohol while they're shooting? Is someone? I feel oh, like yeah, someone yeah, told yeah. me he that he actually gets the actors drunk. Yeah. yeah, so that's legit. And also, yeah, where he's been sourcing his actors—that's also the other thing. It's like he's had like the stock group for almost forever, and he just like alternates now between yeah. them. But then he's gradually like adding people because you know his. Um, before he really was able to like have a sustainable live, I think he still does it. He teaches at universities when he's not like making yeah. films, but I think he's now just doing that for like extra income because, um, or maybe now because well, he's got more movies movies making money. No, no, no. Here's the thing: like he's actually like, I'll send you the the, the talk that he did at the Lincoln Center when he yeah. was here for the film festival because um, he is like the great model for like if you want a sustainable way of like making films and then like. Yeah. making a living at it like he's figured it out and the simple formula that he came up with was he was just like observing like basically how many people showed up at his screenings you know because they only get like so many screenings and like how much money screenings were making and then he like did the math and basically he realized that in order for him to make a profit like the films had to be this certain amount of budget and then you know be prolific just make these many yeah, movies yeah, yeah. and then yeah so all his films actually end up making money well, do you think he yeah. has like any more ambitious ideas that he's just at this point like oh well you know what? I kind of make these small pictures <laughs> I don't who's going to give me the money for this um, will they trust me with this much money and this I, much I don't scope? know because it's like there is something about yeah <laughs> There's something about um, I think all the films even though they're small scale they're ambitious you know I mean this film in particular that we saw tonight like it had so many callbacks to my favorite film of his which is Hill of Freedom mm-hmm. which came out in 2014 and like just even like um, 
them always asking each other, like, are you an artist? Or I guess Isabel Hopper keeps asking that. That's a question that's asked to the main character in Hill of Freedom. Yeah. And I mean, the innovative structure of Hill of Freedom is basically like, it's a series of letters that were like not put in any order, like because the, the girl who's like the recipient of the letter, she drops them. And so she's reading the letters out of order. So the film, the structure of the film is out of order uh, too. Yeah. Because and she she like left the page too. So there's a missing page in in one of the letters. And it's a 66 minute movie, but it has like ambitious structure. And it's really funny because yeah. that was the first time he actually got to try like this whole like language barrier thing where people are that's so much fun <laughs> yeah, it's so speaking much fun. english but it's not their native language you know i love when they're standing uh in front of the uh painting at the apartment building that's very strange yes yeah, very strange it is very strange and like they just kept going back and forth saying this one fucking thing right well there's also like though, i agree with you 100 percent. there's the suspension of like disbelief though of like how quickly these people invite each other to things like in his movies yeah. that seems to be again of the three that i've watched but the idea of like oh i just met you on the beach and you took a picture of me strange french lady you want to come over and i'll cook you a korean dinner uh yeah i don't you know, know if that's a cultural thing though like that may be something that yeah they just are like welcoming people you know but even that quickly yeah with a handful of minutes oh okay <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just like this idea. I think maybe that is more of an Asian thing. Like it's just like we want to share. Yeah. You know, like I think Filipinos would be very welcome to like invite people within a few minutes of knowing somebody. Yeah. Like you know, there's less kind of I guess distrust in, in that aspect. Well, it was just interesting for me to watch as like right. a very skeptical Eastern European right. man. But um, you were talking about like so you know he 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 does essentially write about himself and his situation in life. I mean, oh, it's yeah. fairly fucking clear oh. in this one. But no, that's, that's the that's thing the though. That's the funny thing. Like before, like basically, right now, wrong then, which you saw, it was always like speculation. Like I remember seeing right now, wrong then with a friend of mine, and I said to him like, "Man, this can't be like just made up in his head. Like this is written like based on like actual experience." And he was like. No, he's, like, married, and, like, he has kids, and, like, he goes to sleep at a sensible hour. And I'm like, no, this... And then, sure enough, after that movie, the scandal broke out. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And in this movie, it's kind of interesting, too. I was, like, sort of thinking of the parallels of just, like, you know... I was telling you earlier, I read that article in The Ringer of, you know, they had their affair. Uh-huh. And she was an a- she was becoming an A-list actress in Korea right. and everything. And now, you know, that's waning to a certain extent. She's essentially just doing movies with him. Because right. she's making so many with him. Yeah. And so, but the thing is, like, all the criticisms would always be bigger mm-hmm. towards her of, like, this whore, this Jezebel, this sort of thing. Yeah. But it comes out in this movie, too, of, like, he slept with her drunkenly, but she's the one who gets fired. You know, right. like, it's still coming through in that Exactly, way. yeah. And, and, I mean, yeah, the, these recent films, like, it's that one... I, I haven't seen The Day After, but it also focuses on that idea. But um, uh, on the beach at night alone, um, it also focuses on that. Like, there's a part basically in On the Beach where she goes back to Korea. And, yeah, she just, like, can't find any more, like, gigs because, you know, that's what happened. I don't you understand. Like, I wonder what's, like, the psychology going through her right now as an actress and her career and everything. Right. Does she, to a certain extent, feel imprisoned by it of, like... Well, no one else is hiring me. I have to keep making these fucking movies, you know? Right. But and just constantly playing an iteration of yourself? 
Yeah. Well, how like was was their first movie together? Uh, right now, wrong then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so. Shit. <laughs> but yeah, like that. This has now led to like the next phase. Whether you know you want to say it's the third or the fourth, where he's kind of gone back. I mean, this one was like delightful. It was fairly. Oh, light, it was very but, delightful. It's yeah. Like, it's con. It's right. Bright. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice and the sunny. Dog. But there was there was like a darker underside to it too and the other two films like definitely have that like um, uh, Yourself and Yours and um, On the Night That We Should well, I thought Right Now Wrong Then to be honest with you was a fairly like bleak movie mm-hmm. to watch also right especially like the setting is very grey the way they meet each other in that little like temple or something in right. the start of the At film the also yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like incredibly grey and bleak and everything and also the fact that I don't know, when you find out that he is a director and he shows up to his, like, Q&A later with his book bag on, like, a little boy or something. Right. And it's just like, oh, man, he was having this adult evening with this right. woman. And now look at him just be a little boy for his, like, ten-person audience or something. <laughs> Which is a commentary on him, so, on Hong sang Yeah. But yeah, that's the other funny thing is, like, um, you know, the director he casts usually in his films don't look anything like him except for this one. This is the first time that he's actually cast somebody that looks like him. Yeah. You know, like for a moment, like when I, I saw the promotional images, I was like, what? He cast himself in his own Yeah, me film? too. While yeah. I was watching this, I was like, right. is that? Yeah, no. that's weird. And then yeah. I was like, no, you're just being a racist white guy. Um, yeah. But I mean, the thing, you know, he kind of like, uh, you can't help but think of like Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. when you think of him just because of Al, A, the output B, yeah. the whole idea that a lot of it's autobiographical mm-hmm. but what I respect about him that I don't necessarily respect about Woody Allen and there are many things I don't respect about Woody Allen anymore yeah. but like the idea that he just was never confident enough to just to tell the story as it was he always had to put on an extra veneer of like you know radio days it's set back in the 50s under a roller coaster right. you know it couldn't just be right. these are the emotions these are mm-hmm. the characters Oh no, she you don't understand, Jeff Daniels comes out of the movie and interacts with her in right. Coney Island. It's like, okay, guy. <laughs> um, but like he's he's more pointed. He's like, no, this is my life for better or for worse. Uh, right. this is how I behave, this is how the people around me behave. But yeah, this movie has a dark undercurrent, I would agree with you, especially with the relationship between the producer and the director. Oh yeah. Like that seems like a very toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have a feeling that we saw them at their best and them at their worst is volcanic or something. Oh, yeah, you know? for it sure. even reminded me of like um, uh, what's his name? Oh, where are their names? Reynolds and um, um, what's his sister's name in the movie? Uh, Leslie uh, Mann. Cyril. Cyril, yeah. Yeah. Like oddly enough, it reminded me of their relationship and their brother and sister. <laughs> right. So then I started thinking of like do they fucking Phantom? Like, did they ever fucking Phantom Thrower right. in the history of that story or anything? But, it's like, possible. It was strange. Yeah, it's just like being that short close. hair and just like cutting off the girlfriend for him. You know, it's even the same dynamic and right. everything. Yeah. It's that, strange. That breakup scene too with like, um, uh, you know, in the restaurant when he gets super drunk. Like yeah. the line that really cut into me, which never gets elaborated. He just like says it. It's like, you know, while you're still like young. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I was like, Shit. No, while you're still pretty. Oh, while you're still pretty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He didn't even call her young. He just yeah. called her pretty. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, in my head, like, I'm definitely, like, I mean, I'm, people are going to hate me for this, but, like, I've had that, like, as a reason for breaking up with somebody. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, this is not going to last for you. <laughs> like, get as much as you can while you can. Like, I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. That yeah, kind yeah. Of shit. No, but, I mean, um, 
I, yeah. It's interesting you say that. I, I, mostly when you were talking about we were going to record this afterwards, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how movies shaped the way I look at relationships, romantic oh, yeah. relationships specifically. Yeah. When we'll, we'll discuss that at length in a, another episode for sure. Yeah. Because well, there's a... Well, I don't know. There was a lot of... Uh, most of it was like... What was it? Like, for instance, I got into a trend of, like, since I had never been in, like, a real relationship for a very long time, I just started watching relationship movies, just, like, not rom-coms or anything, but, like, I just was curious as to what the nuance of one was. Right. Where does the danger come? Where does the vitriol come from? Where does the love come from? And so I started watching all these, and I was a very lonely person for a long time. Uh, There was a stretch of time I didn't date anyone for three months. Yeah, I need to start taking. I don't know. I don't. I don't really take pictures at all. Unfortunately, I think just it's, walking around with the Canon Seven D is too clunky and too right. big. You know. Yeah, I mean, I had my like. I was carrying around my Seven D and then like yeah, I just needed something lighter. Also, it's just like everyone's walking around with a Canon. Right. Just, like I don't want to look like an asshole. But you know the thing about photography for me and relating to the movie is that. It is, like, my bridge creatively, like, because, you know, I can't always be making a film, but I can take a photograph, like... At any time, yeah. yeah. So that's really the thing that keeps me going. Like, I mean, writing as well, but, like, sometimes you're not in the mood, but a photo can actually, like, it's so powerful for me, like, it can change my mood. Like, if I suddenly took a, like, a really good photo, then I'm I'm set for the rest of the day. Yeah, but I need something smaller and discreet like you have in your hand right now. Right. Um, Otherwise, like... Yeah, yeah, I have to bring an extra bag with my camera. Right, right exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I don't like taking pictures on my phone, quite frankly. Yeah, me neither. And it's also just like, I don't know, there's, there's all these things that they do on it that's like, you don't have to work for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like old magic wand shit now. Yeah, and, but it is, it's like so, dis- yeah, it's also discouraging to me of like, I try so hard, I labor over frames and everything, and people are just doing this whimsically and... <laughs> fleetingly right. and no one gives a fuck about the frame right yeah and I mean yeah there's something to say like I cause I I'm not really that familiar with this culture of like Fuji Instamax film oh stuff my girlfriend now. has Fuji okay how, yeah. how does she treat her photos but like, she, she doesn't have the type that Claire has in the movie she okay. has like an actual Polaroid like the original oh, size oh yeah I have one uh, yeah. like that too so how does she take photos with it um She's actually really good about it, but I t- actually I, I take pictures on that when I'm hanging out with her and we're like abroad somewhere. Portraits, mainly portraits. Yeah. We don't fuck around with landscapes. Also, <laughs> right. like figuring out the light and how it's filtering through the camera and everything. It's like it's a quarter toss sometimes as to like if oh, yeah. you're actually getting good light or to be overexposed or what's going on well, with the yeah, camera. Well, yeah, that was like some anyway. Yeah, so <laughs> so it's usually yeah you have to be like right here. Maybe there's a good background of some kind. Right. Um, I will sometimes typically orchestrate a thing to be happening in the frame so I can take a picture of it. Right. Or I will quietly sneak on someone as they're doing something I find interesting and take a picture of them. Cool. But it makes a loud noise too. That's the other thing, right? Yeah, right? but like the picture's taken. That's it. <laughs> How do people react? To I them? caught their. You know, I'm just like, oh, I don't know, but that's the thing. I don't. I think people are so comfortable with like people around them taking pictures randomly and surreptitiously that is it really that big a deal anymore? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I did ask one girl at like a party if I could take her photo, and she said no. Oh wow! <laughs> and she was Asian. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, 
and we had like a really great conversation. So I thought like, oh, okay, this is she'll, it's like a given. Yeah. But no, she like that's that halted the conversation right there, and she just said it was nice meeting you, and really? that was it. Like, be on my way. Jesus. Yeah, she like took fo- being photographed that seriously. Oh, uh, I don't, I don't ask people if it's okay with them. I just take yeah. their picture. I have gone <laughs> I mean, into I, I do squabbles. That too, yeah. Well, like when I'm on the street, yeah, like you know, I totally do like street photography. Like it's funny actually. Like, just give a shout out to Scott <laughs> on Instagram. I took a photo of a girl reading a book yeah. in Washington Square Park, and it's like, um, yeah, actually, let me show you. It's like a kind of a. Oh, my phone's in. Never mind. I'll send it to you. Yeah. So it's kind of like a two-photo set kind of thing where it's like you basically see her reading and then the next photo is her like this, uh. like leaning sideways because she's just like so into her book. And then Scott commented on the photo and said, um, is that your friend? And like it was kind of, you know, knowing Scott, like he was fucking with me a little bit. Like he knows that that he wasn't loves my friend. Fucking yeah. With people. Yeah. But like I was like, am I going to dignify this with a response or I'm just going to let it like hang? Uh, and the re- only response I thought of, which I didn't re- post, was just like, well, I tend to tag all my friends in the photos, so make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't post that. I was just like, yeah, let's like, let it hang there for a while. Someone like, tells me that Scott wouldn't like having his picture taken randomly by a stranger. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, he's one of the. I mean, the little that I've interacted with right. him. <laughs> God bless him, though. Yo, he scored yeah. the shit out of that movie. Oh, man. yeah. Good that job. movie really ties it together. I mean, yeah. that, that, the score really ties the together. Oh, yeah, and also just, like, how it comes in, I think, is great. I, I mean, I think it's, it's, like, a very mature decision for you to not have it just come in right off the bat. Like, to have oh, yeah. it, like, segue Well, it's because it. I knew I wanted construction sounds for right. that. I like yeah, the idea that it just, like, harsh sounds followed by a jingly bell, followed yeah. by music. Yeah, you know? that's a great, like way of like building it up you know well for the longest time i was trying to explain to people like after a while they're like oh it's kind of slow there's a lot of stuff i'm like trust me there's gonna be audio design (laughs) just give me a fucking second a whole difference i think it does i thought it tied it together it was very slow going and painstaking mixing the shit out of that fucking thing but but it's worth it it was worth it i mean yeah the constructor sound make me laugh like i think it's funny yeah my girlfriend says it's like i think it's too loud to be coming through the walls at that volume i'm like no it's a this is a very much subjective thing. I think it should be that loud right, because it just yeah. heightens the awkwardness of their, because their relationships in construction, you know. Mm-hmm. And just like the idea that they hear things differently, like a guy hears something differently, like you know, in the before movies, that was like one of the ideas that Ethan Hawke said. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. About like not being able to hear each other because they tune each other out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the sounds. So yeah. Yeah, those talking about movies that shaped my romantic understanding of the world, mm. for better or for worse. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you get into it. In but I'll, I'll save all that. Yeah, I, right. I, I, wrote, I wrote a ton of pages about okay, uh, my yeah, relationship we'll, we'll with totally romance and rom um, Yeah, and I'm also like curious about like how yeah your current relationship like developed and like you know all those things. So we'll get into it. Yeah. Another just interesting thing, and maybe this will be the last thing we can get into, is like what I found really fascinating was um, Claire's like attitude towards the actual photographs, like. I think it was really more important for her to just like the act of taking the photograph because the photo itself like she was willing to give it away, give it, away yeah, yeah. it wasn't that important for her to hang on to the photos yeah, 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 yeah. it was like yeah if you want to keep it it's yours you know but it's just like her, for her it's that like transformative like aspect of it that's what she was more yeah. interested in well that's why I think she's there's something like spectral about her character in this movie you know like because everyone else knows each other she's the one who 
what's funny to me about this movie, what I find ironic, and maybe he meant for it, maybe he didn't yeah. because he was shooting it in nine days randomly on the run. She is the local. She is French. Right. But since the three of them know each other and have worked with each other for five years and have their own drama that's like set in its ways, right. she's the outsider. It's true. Which I think is a hilarious dynamic to sort of like bring up in that regard. Yeah. And that's why I will. I've always been interested in that character and the same thing with that uh, uh, Ackerman movie also just like this person who's just kind of wandering around, wandering around taking things in yeah. and maybe sometimes stirring shit up just for shits and giggles like right. how do you make that movie and it's very difficult to figure out how to make how to write such a passive character and have them kind of like glue everything together like yeah, that yeah and she totally does I mean even just the build up towards her too like you don't see her until like the third scene in the film yeah. and I even remember like that there was a couple on our row and they like suddenly reacted when she suddenly comes on because yeah she really because she is. comes in like also in a very unobtrusive way in a right. wide shot and she's mm. just sitting there and mm. I love when he zooms in for the two shot of them sharing the table and yeah. they just cannot come up with something to say to one another right so she goes on her phone I can watch her forever I can watch her just uh. like yeah, do you remember the part too where she they almost got hit by the car? Like I don't think that was part of the oh, movie. Oh no, it couldn't. Yeah, it's like you're gonna like destroy one of France's national yeah, yeah. treasures. But also, if like, you that could, person should be crucified. On the beach, you could tell also some people uh, are looking yeah. into the camera. Right. It's it's his film that like invites the outside world the most. I think. Yeah. Uh, the, he just allows that to happen. Yeah. Like I remember when she's singing the stupid song on like the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, little yeah, walk, yeah, and then there's that couple in the bottom of the frame with the kid yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all those things but, but uh, I really love this movie yeah, I really me too. I love the poster for this movie mm -hmm. I want the yeah. poster for actually this a lot movie. of his posters for his films are really no, good I had no yeah I, so. actually the right now wrong then is a really interesting one too have you seen that one with the there's variations on it the one of I've um, seen the purple one with the cursive title oh uh, no no you should see the one I'll send it to you it's the one with um with uh Minhee and it's like um She's in the movie theater at the screening, uh -huh. and then right now, wrong then is like written, like kind of outlining her shoulder, but then it's uh, like arrows, you know. Yeah, yeah. So right now, that's wrong then. Yeah, 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 it's a really good poster. I love that title too. Yeah, it and then fits it, so well. And it begins actually with the title wrong, wrong now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's great. But yeah, um, well, this is this is a good chat. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Right. and we'll we'll have a part two. Where we'll delve also, into where we, we'll get a little bit more personal about <laughs> things, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. Sounds All good. Right.